Thank you for listening to The Luminous Mind, Episode 73. We get two copies of anything we're going to read, and we give a copy to the child, and it belongs to the child. It's their possession. And you make sure that they know that, that this is their book. Uh, Because if you do this and you pick up a book a week or something along those lines, the child's going to develop a library of books that they know belong to them, and it's their possession. Uh, You want them to have some sort of pride of ownership of books if you want them interested in reading. Benjamin Franklin once said, Do not curse the darkness, rather light a candle instead. are ready to set your mind on fire and prepare yourself for the luminous mind with your host Rebecca Bowman. Today's fire starter is Steve Horwich. And actually, Stephen has been on our podcast before. He is a professional educator for over 40 years. He's taught a master's writing program. He's taught in private schools. And then he's also been homeschooling his own two children. Now he's a homeschool advocate. So welcome, Stephen. Oh, thanks, Rebecca. It's really (laughs) nice to talk to you again. Yeah. If you want to go back and listen to Stephen, he's episode, our first one was episode 40, and it was released on April 29th. The second episode, which we talked about grading and critiquing your students' work, was episode 60, and that one was released on June 12th. So we've done a few of them, and this time we're going to talk about the hows and whats and whys of homeschooling. Right. Yeah, <laughs> so. this, we can keep this on the upside. Absolutely. Yeah, this will be fun. <laughs> so positive things that you can do with your children to teach them. So I guess I'll just turn it over to you. Where do you want to get started? Well, let's start with, uh, let's kind of walk them through their school years. Let's start with prior to the age of five or six. I think that, you know, a lot of parents ask me over the years what they should be teaching kids who are three or four or five years old and whether or not they shouldn't be starting their homeschooling. Um, I personally, and it's just an opinion, I don't think that a child that young needs to be learning very much. I think they should be living and experiencing the world and getting outside and getting to know their family and getting to know their own, you know, their body and their powers and their abilities and who they are and all of that kind of stuff. But I do believe that prior to starting schooling, it is a good idea to be doing a ridiculous amount of reading to your kids. And what I came up with was a system where you could start to teach a younger child how to read that's pretty creative and effective, does not use phonics, because, in part also because I think phonics is too difficult for a four-year-old or a five-year-old for the most part. And if you really want to take that kind of time to teach a child that young and you want to work with phonics, you've already started their schooling. And that's kind of what I, I don't think should happen. But what we do is we get two copies of anything we're going to read, And we give a copy to the child, and it belongs to the child. It's their possession. And you make sure that they know that, that this is their book. Uh, Because if you do this, and you pick up a book a week or something along those lines, the child's going to develop a library of books that they know belong to them, and it's their possession. And if they choose to write in the books, draw in the books, eat the books, tear up the books, feed the books to spot, that's up to them. It's their possession. Uh, You want them to have some sort of pride of ownership of books if you want them interested in reading. So you give them a copy and you have a copy and you open up the first page and they look at their copy and you look at your copy and you read the first sentence or two following the words with your finger in your book. And then you have the child look at the same words in their book and repeat it back to you following with their finger. And if you have to read one sentence three or four times, five times to get some kind of duplication on the part of the child, you do that because there's no hurry and you're supposed to be doing this for fun, basically. What this utilizes is a system called whole word identification, which education experimented with to teach reading in the 50s and 60s. And then the phonics craze hit and they dropped it 
uh, which is very unfortunate. My own story about reading was that I could not read before the age of seven. Nobody taught me. And in first grade, I had a teacher who used whole word identification. And she saw me stumbling around and reading badly, terribly, horribly, not at all. So she pulled out a dictionary and she said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start, we're going to read this dictionary together, starting with A, and we're going to go right through the dictionary this year and read every single word and the definitions in the dictionary, which we did. When I was tested at the end of that first grade year, I was reading 1,400 words a minute with 100% comprehension. No phonics. Yep, no phonics, no phonics, just whole word identification. So what I've done in this very simple system that I just described to your listeners, and I hope they use, is come up with a very simple way to use that process to start a three-year-old, a four-year-old, a five-year-old toward reading and toward enjoying their reading uh, both at the same time. So I think beyond that and learning you know, how to count from one to 10 or one to 20 and read a clock and know your phone number and know how to tell the nice policeman how to take you home when you're lost and call your mom, <laughs> stuff like, you know, really basic things like that. A, a child should, for the most part, be left alone at that age or be allowed to experience the world and be given opportunities to experience the world, but should not have education pushed down their throat. It's too young from my perspective, and I think you're stealing some of a child's great pleasure in being alive when you do that. Uh, we see all the time. I mean, I had a son that was reading at four, but he was my second boy. So he was watching me teach my other one how to read. And so he just naturally picked up. But then I've had other kids, you know, some of my, my younger kids, like my son Tate, I'm just teaching him how to read now. And he's seven. If you have children that are reading well, at mm-hmm. four, um, we just let that naturally happen, right? According to their own Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Yes. If a child reaches for anything that they're interested in and they they learn it and they're good at it and they employ their time and their energy towards mastering it, your job as a parent, you know, whether you're going to homeschool or not, is to open up every possible opportunity for your child to experience that thing. And if you have a child who's reading at age three or four and they love it and they're looking for more to read, then you should do what my grandparents did for me when I started reading. They bought me books every single week. They would take me to bookstores and you could go to the library and spend nothing, get a lot of books and let the kid pick the books. I always picked the books that my grandparents bought for me. And that allowed me to read A Tale of Two Cities at the age of eight because that looked interesting to me. So I think every child is different. Every student is different. And there, of course, will be four-year-olds who read and there will be seven-year-olds who don't. You talked about whole reading. You don't recommend phonics at all? I mean, at any time? No, I wouldn't say that. I prefer whole word identification as a, a system to teaching reading. I think it's far simpler. The teacher doesn't really need to know anything except how to read. You, mom and dad, do not have to be an expert in phonics to do whole word identification because you don't need expertise in anything. So it's an easier system to use, and I feel like it delivers a better result and is faster. But phonics has a place in learning how to read. It is inconsistent. The English language doesn't really follow very well the rules of phonics. But you can use it. And I even say in in my curriculum, I suggest that if you're using whole word identification, you may want to supplement it with a phonics program. If your child is reaching for that or having a lot of difficulty breaking down words. My own experience has been that when you use whole word identification, the student gets the entire word and never has to sound it out and never actually has an issue. And I found for myself that the more words I knew, the more words I could know. Uh, I would look at a word I didn't know and I knew how to pronounce it because I knew 20 other words that had utilized the same spelling rules but not through phonics, through whole word identification. Well, and even with phonics, the brain does switch to a point where it's recognizing that as a whole word. I mean, even older children, mm-hmm. after you've taught them phonics and they learn how to read competently, trying to have them go back and give you that exact sound, sometimes they really struggle with that, right? Because yeah, they're, yeah. They, they have a hard time breaking it down. So what about math for younger children? Just yeah, recommend man. counting and... Sure. You know, I mean, look, there are really bottom line basics of math that you can turn into games for children. And if you're going to teach math to a young child, it had best be in the form of a game. 
So shapes and colors and counting your fingers and counting your toes and going outside and counting the trees on the block and things like that. You just have to, you have to keep it fun for a kid. And I think you have to really keep your eyes open for the, the indicators of the child. If you're doing this kind of thing and the child is getting bleary eyed or frustrated or intolerant or starting to eat the furniture or anything <laughs> like that, you've gone too long and too far and you've probably skipped over something you didn't understand. You need to pull back. There are math programs out there for really young kids. I know, for instance, that Saxon Math has a very, very basic math program that teaches things like shapes and colors and counting and things like that. And I think most math programs offer something like that for very young students. And I don't have a problem with a child doing that if it's fun. I have a problem with it being enforced to on a three-year-old or a four-year-old. Uh, and what it, does that do when we force it? I mean, we're our population in the U.S. is getting a little crazed with the whole uh, preschool. I mean, a younger and younger, that's what they want to do is start them, you know, two, yeah. three, four yeah, years old. Hey, Rebecca, I think you used exactly the right word. I, I think it's a, a crazy, not particularly rational thing to do to a child. Look, again, you know, I did not learn how to read till I was seven years old because nobody taught me. And I, by the time I was eight, was reading 1,400 words a minute, and three years later, I was tested at 2,000 words a minute. So I think every child is going to learn if you provide them opportunities to learn, but if you enforce it, if you shove it down a child's throat, they will hate learning. They will not ever come to enjoy school. They'll resist it. They'll back away from it at every opportunity. They'll look for ways to avoid it. And at that point, you will have a child who won't receive an education. We see this all the time. When I used to teach at private schools, which I did for about a decade, I used to see this one private school. They had a system they used to teach kids math on the computer. And it was very difficult and really not a very good system. It was called Math Facts. And it was quite poor. And the kids almost universally learned to despise it. But the interesting thing about that was even when they finally took a kid off math facts because they realized that it was devastating all of their students in terms of math, that they weren't learning anything and they were struggling and they hated it. After using that for a year or two, the kids hated math because it had been shoved down their throat in that form in a manner they couldn't digest, couldn't make any sense of. And after that, they had a very hard time instituting any kind of a successful math program. Well, you and, just can't enforce. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Rebecca. Well, in the Finnish, they are actually ranked probably in the highest as far as their educational system goes. They've actually figured that out and they've stopped any compulsory education below seven. Yeah, I agree. And, I, I think that's very wise. And uh and I don't have any problem with it. I also think, interestingly enough, on the other end of that spectrum, that a student's education in terms of schooling, and I, I don't even like that word because I don't believe in schooling, but I think it should end uh, sometime in a child's 16th year. I think by age 16 or so, a child has had enough of school and is ready to experience the world. And if you haven't done your job as an educator, as a school district, as a homeschooler, as a whatever, if you have not succeeded in educating your child by the time they're, you know, about to turn 17, you've already failed. And another two years of enforced education that your child will despise and resist and look for any reason to avoid is not going to give them an education. Yeah. How many of us that have high schoolers get that around 16? They are sick of it. So yeah. So maybe we should move on to our second group. Let, let's start with when you would start homeschooling and how you would start homeschooling. Okay. I, I think that that's great. That's the real discussion to be had at that point. So you have a five-year-old, a six-year-old, a seven-year-old, and you want to start educating them, which is fine. I think at age five, you can at least start to consider that. By six, you should probably start certainly by seven. Most states in the United States have laws on the book that make it legal, not illegal, no matter what anybody tells you, legal for you to homeschool. There is no uh, national law 
that prevents you from homeschooling. There is no national law that demands you send your children to a public or private school. While education is compulsory, schooling is not. And there's a distinct difference between educating a child and schooling a child, meaning sending them to a school and everything that that implies. At age six, seven, whatever state you're in, if you're looking at homeschooling your child, you will want to find out what the state requires. Your state's requirements will be slightly different than any other state's requirements. Some states require that you file paperwork with the local school district stating, just stating, not asking for permission, that you're going to homeschool. Uh, some states require that you have a once-a-month meeting with a quote-unquote, and I can hardly say this phrase without laughing, a master teacher who will look over what your child is learning and what they're studying and perhaps offer some advice which you would wisely probably ignore, but you know, if, if the advice makes sense, of course, use it. Uh, other states have no such requirements. And there are some states, I, I believe Texas, among others, as an example, in California, where I live, uh, there really aren't very many laws uh, or restrictions of any kind on the book. So the likelihood is you are not going to have a legal issue homeschooling. What you should do, regardless of the state you're in, is probably check it out. You can usually go to the Department of Education's website for your state, and they will have a section on homeschooling where they explain to you what you need to do. You can also go to the HSLDA, the, the Homeschool Legal Defense Association on the internet, HSLDA. They have a page specifically offering a map of the United States and you click on your state and up come the rules for your state that are current as to what you have to do to homeschool. That is kind of a second step. You have to do it. You have to know what needs to be done or complied with, and you have to comply. If you don't, you're kind of foolishly opening the door to the government investigating what you're doing with your kids and inviting them into your house and into your you know, privacy. And I don't recommend that. So it, it actually is wiser to just do that. There are also organizations you can find on the internet that will take care of legally registering your child as a homeschooler in a program. I know there's some in Florida that you can contact via the internet and you pay them $50 a year and they take care of all the legalities depending on what state you're in, and then you're, they'll send you paperwork and you are legally homeschooling. Wow, I've never yeah. heard of that. Yeah, I, I actually used those when I first started homeschooling uh, in 2002. So hmm. I, I assume they're still there and, and, uh, and functioning. But uh, either way, you can get this information on what you need to homeschool. My brother uh, wants to start homeschooling one of his children, and he's in Nevada and asked me what to do. I got on the internet and in less than three minutes found the document that explained legally what he had to do. So it's very, very easy. If you enter the, if you ran a search and you enter the name of your state and say homeschooling, one of the first links that'll come up will be a legal explanation of what you need to do. It's very rarely very daunting. There is almost nothing you need to do in most states to homeschool your kids. And in some states, you don't have to even register with the school district. In California, we did not. When I homeschooled, we did not have to do that. So that's number now, one. Now, I've heard of some school districts that are asking parents to get their permission. If you have a district that does that, is that even a legal thing for mm -mm. them to do? Nope, afraid not. You have the constitutional right to homeschool and no school district can abnegate your rights. You know, there was um, a very low comedy moment uh, last year. I was watching uh, Eric Holder delivering a speech who was the, you know, Secretary head. of Education. <laughs> well, no, not the Secretary of Education. He's the, uh, he's the attorney for oh, the Oh, that's Attorney right. General. Okay, right. sorry. Attorney General. And he said in the middle of a speech out of nowhere that the government has the right to remove the privilege of homeschooling and will do it whenever they think they want to. Well, they actually don't. And as an attorney, what he said was foolish and possibly actionable since it was misinformation. They that don't was probably in response to the Romulus family. Is that 
No, that he seeking wasn't, asylum no. here? No? Yeah, no, but I, I wish we had given them asylum. You talk about the Swedish family or German family. German that, family, yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah, we should have given them asylum. But once again, we dropped the ball and allowed a government that suppresses homeschooling to have their way, which is ludicrous. Anyway, we didn't want to get into this discussion. No. So, <laughs> So you are going to homeschool your family. Your first step before you even check about legality is to talk to each other as a family and decide this is what you want to do. Now, there are very, very good reasons to homeschool, and there are some difficulties attendant to homeschooling. Some of the lovely things, of course, obvious things, is that you are going to have a lot of control over what your child is exposed to and learns, that you can provide your child a superior education, as all the testing demonstrates, to private and public education. Homeschoolers receive one for one, almost across the board, a superior education and testing bears it out. And it doesn't even matter the parents' education, no. you know, placement of where, how high of learning they went. No, right? abso nope, absolutely not. Uh, according to the testing that's been done, the parents' education ultimately is not a factor. I can see where if you're a parent and you don't read and you're not willing to learn how to read or you don't speak English and you're living in this country, you're not willing to learn that or you can't count to 10, you're going to have a bit of a hard time teaching your kid to do those things. But even so, there are lots of programs available via the internet and in your area because there's always homeschool resources in the area that can fill those gaps. The way my curriculum works, I don't even need to have the parent in the room after the age of eight. They don't need to be there. And as you were telling me about your kids, they hit a certain age where if they can read decently well, they're pretty self-directed. And if the curriculum is doing the teaching rather than the parent, yeah. if, what, if they're studying is what's doing the teaching. Well, and my kids, I homeschool them from the beginning. Uh, you may have a more difficult time if you've had them in school used mm -hmm. to being instructed. And we maybe we'll talk about that, like a de-schooling thing, how to do that. But, mm -hmm. but definitely after they re learn how to read... Right. Mm -hmm. that yeah, I think once a child reads, there are all kinds of ways to turn over his education to him once you discover what he's interested in. But decision number one is, do you want to homeschool? And, and is the child uh, willing and eager to homeschool? Because you don't want to drag the child and enforce homeschooling any more than you would want to enforce public education. You don't want to enforce education. It's a way to guarantee that your child will hate it. So you need the students, the child's agreement to do this thing. Now, the only thing I can think of, the, the only there are only a few real potential negatives to homeschooling if you're considering it. Uh, one is that a lot of people are ignorant of what homeschooling is and have all kinds of biases and strange ideas about homeschoolers. Uh, I've worked with hundreds of homeschool families. They almost invariably struck me as pretty bloody rational and doing their level best for their kids and in most cases doing a superior job educating them and giving them opportunities. So that's going to be over to you, but you will encounter Uncle Bob and, you know, Aunt Carol, who will sit you down and say, you can't homeschool your children. Crazy people homeschool their children. Well, there are over 6 million homeschoolers in the United States, which is not, by the way, the number that the Department of Education will uh, promote. They promote one and a half to 2 million uh, homeschoolers in the United States, and they're not telling the truth. So you are just one of millions of families in this country not to even get into the number of homeschoolers around the globe, which is astronomical. And the number is growing faster than any other sector of education. So you're not a part of a fringe group homeschooling. It's not a cult. It's not in anything. It's parents and families getting together to make sure that their kids get an education. Uh, the socialization thing is the other, you know, significant discussion you'll probably have with Uncle Bob and Aunt Carol, that your kids will not get socialized. They will not know how to play in the sandbox with other people their age. <laughs> and uh, that and we, that's just... We've yeah, covered that a lot. <laughs> because, you know, just in brief, it's a lie. Don't buy it. You know, I don't want to get into the history of it, which I explained at another time here. Your children, according to most of the universities across the United States, 
will be better socialized having homeschooled than having gone to school. Universities are now, big universities like Harvard and Yale, are looking for homeschool graduates rather than public and private school graduates, A, because they're academically more advanced, and B, because they're better socialized. Amazingly enough, they get along with other people better because they didn't receive an education looking over their shoulder and wondering where the next threat was going to strike. Well, which... and I would add C, <laughs> most of the homeschool kids come out very self-directed. I mean... Yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely right. Yep, that's right. Before we go on, let us take a minute and hear about our sponsors. Ready to homeschool your children, but you have no idea where to start or how to do it? Already homeschooling, but you're running into problems, or maybe you just want to improve results. Are you an expert homeschooling parent looking for every possible angle for your children? The Homeschooler's Handbook, written by an award-winning teacher with over 40 years' experience at every level of education, has the tools and answers you're looking for. Use the link on the LuminousMind.net podcast show notes page and buy your own copy of the Homeschooler's Handbook today. back to The Luminous Mind with Stephen Horwich, a homeschool advocate on how to begin homeschooling. So now you make a decision you're going to homeschool and you go out and you find out what the legal requirements are and you fulfill them. The next thing you have to do is set yourself up to homeschool. And that requires a couple of things. If you have every house is different and, you know, apartment or whatever, wherever you're going to homeschool, you're going to need to find a corner of a room that you can dedicate to the homeschooling effort for each student. They have to have their own corner where they can keep their books, put their computer, have a desk or a table. You know, if you don't want to get a desk, that's fine. Get a table, get a small, something that'll work for your student, pens and storage area, all that stuff. Yes, exactly. All of that for their books, for their courses that they're studying so that they have their area in which to work. You're going to need to make sure that that area is well ventilated, well lit, doesn't have any weird smells, isn't noisy, you're not sticking them next to the barking dog next door. <laughs> uh, there are all kinds of things you're going to want to look at to make sure that the area is uh, student worthy, that it really works for a student. And what I always recommend parents do when they start putting that area together is consult the student. He's the one who's going to work in that area. Ask him what he'd like it to be like. What kind of artwork would he like on the walls? Don't just assume that they want, you know, pictures of clowns because you like pictures of clowns. Ask your student what they want to look at in that area, what they'd like to have around them, and then try as best you can to accommodate it so they feel at home in that space. You want the student to take ownership of their education. Part of that process is taking ownership of the space they're going to work in. So I recommend that very strongly. I think it's a very, very big idea. Well, and as a parent, I think we need to chill out. My kids like to take their books and sometimes and move to a different area just because they're for that day or whatever, they're not feeling very inspired in that spot. But I, I mean, early as a home school I'd be like sit in your desk (laughs) just because I still have the public school mentality of yeah you know Rebecca I went through the same thing and I had to learn to knock it off it was uh, because I had actually taught in schools for you know two decades it was very hard for me to turn that off and I had to do it but if your kid wants to go outside sit under a tree and study great as long as they're studying, if they want to get on a treadmill and, and run while they're reading their history, what do you care? Yeah. As long as, as long as they learn their history, it doesn't matter. If they want to be sprawled out on the floor doing math work, you know. Fine. It's a lot, if they go to sleep, you know, then you probably pick the wrong time of day to homeschool, which is the next part of the discussion. So I think they should have a home base for their education yeah. and area that they know they can put their stuff away and where it belongs so that the homeschooling doesn't take over the entire house, which is not fair to the rest of the family. Yeah. 
But at the same time, while they're studying, you know, really, you don't need to police a 12-year-old, a 14-year-old. And if you are policing them, you're probably making their educational time unbearable for them. <laughs> so you, you want to stop that. And it's hard. It's easy to say and hard to do. And you got to do it. Now, the next thing is this. Homeschooling does not have to be done on the same schedule or even a remotely similar schedule to schools. Uh, you're homeschooling. And if your student does better work from one o'clock in the afternoon till six o'clock at night, that's when they're at their best as far as study goes, then you would be well advised to make that your school time. If on a particular day of the week, your kid is tired and wants to sleep late, why enforce him to study while he's tired? He's not going to learn anything and he'll be frustrated and you'll be frustrated and then you'll get tired and then you'll yell at each other and throw chairs out windows. So it's, it's a better idea to allow the student to study, generally speaking, when they are most studentable, when they're most able to study. And for every student, that may be a little bit different. Also, because you're homeschooling, that gives you, mom and dad, the freedom to homeschool around your job. So I've had families say, well, I can't homeschool because I work till four in the afternoon. Well, you can homeschool. Start your homeschooling at 4.30, break for dinner and finish at 10, and leave your kid alone during the day to do what he wants to do. There are all kinds of ways to do this. Well, and if your children are in public school and you're, you know, you had to done homework with them in the evening and it's just seemed overwhelming and a fight right. and all that, it's because homeschooling, it's just such a different mentality than doing the homework with the kid. It's not even going to be the same thing. No, I mean, no. And ideally, you're exactly right. Ideally, what you're doing is exactly the opposite. Homework from school is enforced additional education. Your kid went to school for six hours, they couldn't get the job done, and they made that your problem, mom and dad and junior. It's now your problem. So now you're not only being punished by sending your kid to school, you're being punished with his free time being taken up by school too. And it's a, a great mechanism to control a family and force their attention onto the school and why they should be supporting the school and yeah. all that garbage. But it is garbage, folks. And when you do homeschooling, what we always did is we, you restrict the time. You know, you were going to homeschool for four hours, depending on the age of the child, or three hours or five hours. And we're going to cover subject X, Y, and Z. And when we're done, we're done. There is no homework because it's all homework. You're working at home and you don't assign extra work outside of the lesson plans for the day. And in that way, you return to the child and to the family a great degree of freedom in terms of how they're going to use their time. And that allows the child to pursue his own interests, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Yeah, it's amazing to see what they can do on their own when it's self-driven versus Compulsory. Absolutely. So, and that, and that's what we all want for our kids. We want them to stand up on their own two feet and decide what they're interested in and go after it. That's the entire purpose of education. When you get right down to it, is for the child to discover his calling or his interest and let him then pick up steam on his own and run after it without you having to push anymore. The day that happens, most parents who get to that point, if you ever do, uh, experience tremendous relief because the purpose of that child's education has started to be fulfilled. They know what they want to do. It's terribly important that you allow that to occur and that you help it happen. So now you're homeschooling, you've set up the house, you need to find curriculum. Now, some parents, some families do what's called unschooling. Unschooling means that whatever happens that day basically is going to be the lesson. I think that's has its place in homeschool. And a certain amount of it in any homeschool education is valuable, but I personally don't think that's structured enough for most kids to learn very much. And I think that a lot of ideas and a lot of learning falls through the cracks because it was never laid out or plotted. I think as a parent, too, they might find it frustrating because it does require their constant involvement, ways mm. that they can kind of bring some topics into focus. And so when there's not a set curriculum, sometimes that's really hard to think of ways that they can learn from that experience. Mm -hmm. And I think unschooling in that way is much more work for the parent than 
locating a curriculum that actually works for your child and then just stepping in the door once every hour and a half and and uh, supervising, basically, making sure that the student is getting everything he needs. When you do homeschool, you do end up doing a degree of unschooling, because I've seen we'll yep. study a topic during the day, and then somewhere out in our life, it will bring up that topic. And, and then it does allow me to change whatever they've learned to adapt it to that real-life situation. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, maybe I'm just not smart enough to- Oh, no, I, do it I, on my own. I, I agree with you 100%. I spent 10 years of my life writing curriculum, and I started writing it for my children. And the reason I pulled them out of private schools was because the curriculum they had been studying, I felt, was extremely ineffective, and I wanted them to really learn. So, you know, everybody has their own style with their kids and as a family, and every student learns best in their unique way. Some students learn best kinesthetically they have to have things in their hands they have to be doing things in order to really acquire knowledge they really need a lot of hands-on get yourself dirty kind of stuff and some kids learn very well just reading and digesting intellectually information and putting it to use every student is going to be different as every family is going to be different there will be and there are i know a few families who combine a certain degree of unschooling with a certain amount of planned curriculum and they seem to be doing very well with their kids. I think it does depend on the student too. I have some kids that I think would flourish in unschooling and then I think there's others that they definitely need a little more guidance to help recall what their interests are, if if that makes any sense. Yeah, there are students who need more structure and there are students who need less structure. It's really in the end going to depend on the needs of the student and that should largely dictate how you educate that child. I do know that there are certain subjects that you would least need to make sure the essentials are a part of that student's education as they move into their elementary school, junior high years. You know, you do want to get some basic science in because in this world, which is so (laughs) science-based, you know, to have no understanding of the mechanics of the world around you and how things work is dangerous. So I do believe that's essential. And I think world history, not just United States history, world history is an absolute must if your young person is going to grow up to understand the world around them and how to handle it. You can really acculturate a child, really limit a child's understanding of the world by harping on U.S. history or local history to the exclusion or overall exclusion of global history, which is far more important. I think it's part of global history where we live, of course, and for us, a very important part. And it should be taught, and it should be taught thoroughly. The one thing I always think high school and junior high students should be exposed to in detail is the Constitution, word for word, until they understand it and know how to use it so they understand what their rights are and they understand when their rights are being abused. If I'm teaching American history, that's what I focus on. And in my courses, in fact, that is what I focus on. I know parents sometimes choose to homeschool so they can kind of shelter, you know, so they don't get some of the things that they think are kind of controversial views into their children's brain. But I've seen too many situations when the child does get out in the world and sees the conflict or, you know, sees some of those things that they weren't taught. It sometimes can create some resentment against the parent that they... I mean, that's. Well, I, I agree, and I, I would take that even farther. I, I think it's foolish to withhold subjects from a child. I think it's foolish not to teach a child at least the concepts, even if you thoroughly disagree, of evolution, of essential science. I, I think you have to, you know. I also, by the way, equally think it's very foolish to not teach a child about every major religion in detail because they're going to deal with people who practice those religions for the rest of their days. Yeah, and And they'll know how to handle it when they... Absolutely. It's a a big part of what we do uh, in, in our curriculum with the kids is we make sure they learn all about science and all the different views of science, including views opposed to some of the concepts. We make sure they learn about every major religion, Eastern and Western, thoroughly so that they can confront that in life. Because you're absolutely right. If you withhold entire subjects for ideological reasons 
from your child, the world is not going to withhold those subjects from your child. The world is going to beat those subjects over your child's head. If you don't familiarize them with it, you have not armed them very well for life. But the the most amazing thing is, is that you can keep it in the theory basis versus like how it would be in public school of like, well, this is absolute gospel. You know, this is how it happened. Absolutely. You you can keep it theoretical. Yeah, you can. You present it as we present it. You present these as ideas that science believes and you present the proofs. This is why science believes it, so that the student understands. And then you allow the student, who we're going to assume is able to think for themselves by the time they're 13, 12, 14, whatever, we're going to allow them to decide for themselves what they want to accept and what they want to reject. The same thing goes for religion. And I understand that a lot of people homeschool in order to give their child a education that revolves around a specific set of religious beliefs. And that's fine, and I actually don't have an issue with that as long as you at the same time present all the other ideas to your child so that they understand and can evaluate them for themselves and know what they're going to deal with in life. It's very, very dangerous. Yeah, because hopefully your uh, idea is it's to make them empowered as an adult, not to keep them you know, mm-hmm. forever sheltered. That's exactly right. And uh, education should, in part, be a step-by-step unsheltering of the child, opening up the child's eyes to the world so that the child can gradually take control over the area around him. That's one of the major purposes of education. So, yeah, you know, you and I are thinking exactly along the same lines, I suspect, on this. So now you're homeschooling. You've decided if you're unschooling, you've decided if you're using a curriculum, you've decided if you're doing a mix, all of the above, bringing in tutors, you're hiring a teacher, you're not hiring a teacher, you know, grandma is going to run the homeschool hours, uh, big sister is going to run the homeschool hours, somebody has to take some responsibility to make sure that homeschooling actually happens. Uh, You're going to want to keep records of attendance. Now, I know that sounds strange, but you need to do it in many states as a legal requirement. You have to demonstrate generally that your students studied at least 180 days out of the year. And for that reason, you have to keep attendance. Very often, it's not just 180 days, but there is also a hour requirement, like uh, four hours a day, five hours a day. And sometimes there are requirements as to subject study. Uh, In some states, they'll tell you that at age 14, your student has to do 180 days, five days a week or something like that, five hours a day, and they must study history, science, math, and they have to do PE twice a week, which is a joke. Most, yeah. most, yeah. <laughs> I think most states, the requirements for PE are, they just make me laugh. You know, usually it's make sure your kid gets, you know, 40 minutes of PE a week. I, I can't imagine a child getting less than 40 minutes of running around and, and throwing his body into walls a day, every every day. How could you do that to a child? Stick them in a room and say, now you're going to get your 40 minutes outside on Thursday. So don't worry about it, kid. Just, you know, it's terrible. You can't do it. Yeah. And, right. and I would suggest that you keep records, especially as they get older, just so that uh, for college entrance. Right. That's another, that's another kind of record keeping. And it needs to start around the time that the student is getting to junior high age. You're looking at around age 10-ish or so. You have to start keeping tests, test scores, samples of the curriculum or materials that were being studied because you are going to have to provide some kind of transcript demonstrating how many days, how many hours, what subjects, the level of those subjects. You're going to have to prove all that to a college. Uh, You're going to have to prove that your student did lab sciences. Lab sciences are basically hands-on science where you actually do things with the science. Some homeschoolers really struggle for that. We came up with a very good program for that that requires almost no materials outside of what you have in your house and generated hundreds of experiments that you do with things you would find around the home. So, And a, a gonna, kitchen can basically oh, 
suffice as a lab. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a kitchen and a backyard. I mean, if you have those, yeah. you're, you're, you're going to be fine for the most part. But your student will have to do lab sciences to go to college, and they'll have to demonstrate sufficient knowledge probably to pass a GED at the very least. Now, your student is probably going to homeschool progressively, meaning you would probably start them if they're young fewer hours every day, say three hours a day dedicated to their school. And those three hours would have breaks, you know, and you want to make sure that you're not immediately starting a kid running at age five. It's not a very good idea. And maybe by the time they're seven years old, you've gone up to four hours. And by the time they're nine years old or 10 years old, you're at five or six hours a day. Which they're doing a bulk of that at that point by themselves. Yeah, the majority, the majority by far. Uh, My children at that age required almost no supervision. I found most homeschool kids. At that point, they know how to educate themselves. They've been doing it for a while. And even if your student is starting homeschooling at age nine, they'll go through a transition, uh, learning that they don't have to do the garbage they had to do in public or private school. And there'll be a transition period where the freedoms provided by homeschooling will be uncomfortable. They will not be comfortable. Well, and it will be uncomfortable for the parent, too. I think Mm -hmm. uh, de-schooling yourself is another topic I think would be a good Mm -hmm. thing to discuss but well we can oh boy i don't know if we're going to do that today no i don't think (laughs) that's going to be number four (laughs) but uh but yeah you know there's going to be a period of adjustment where uh, the student and mom and dad and the whole family is going wow you know junior's at home all day and we have to make sure junior actually learns something every day and that's a lot of responsibility at first But a student who can read and who's provided a reasonably, reasonably structured uh, educational program can pretty much take on his own learning from age, I think, from age eight or nine on. That does not mean that they should not be supervised at all. Uh, It does not mean that you shouldn't place restrictions on the Internet and where they go on the Internet. Video games. Yeah, video games should be thrown into the trash can. That's my opinion. But, you know, (laughs) that's a tough one for a lot of families. I don't think you should ever even let your kids start. But that's that's, you know, if I had to if you asked me to draw a picture of the devil and put it into a dictionary, it would be a video game. (laughs) So, you know, I I don't even know what to say about that, except don't let them do it. But really, most education is self-education at the end of the day. A kid who does well in public school does so because they're self-motivated and able to teach themselves because the system does not help them. It is not particularly assistive of education. The same thing is true of most private schools, though some private schools are more student-oriented and individual-oriented rather than group classroom-oriented, and they do a better job. Uh, But in the end, anybody who learns anything learns it on their own, anything. You have to make information yours. You have to understand it, use it, and make it a part of how you think. Otherwise, it has no value to you. It's like – and all of us have had this experience. Everybody's had this experience. When you had to cram for a test and you had very little time and a lot of information that you had to memorize because that's what public education is about, memorizing rather than learning, and then you take that test, even if you pass that test with flying colors, we all know that two weeks later, not a single piece of information we learned to pass that test is anywhere to be found in our heads. It goes bye-bye because it has no relevance. It was just something to be memorized to pass a test. So Think about real education versus uh, just facts, you know, just studying mm-hmm. Yeah, pointless facts, undigested and unusable facts. Uh, A fact is a beautiful thing if you can make use of it in your life. It's wonderful. A fact is a waste of space if it has no value to you, if you have no use for it. And we don't retain those kinds of facts. People, that they offload it. It goes into the trash. I think if you're homeschooling, what you're basically looking for, the structure is this. You make a decision, you make sure you're legal, you set yourself up to homeschool, you find what you want to teach, you get to work. And as the student gets older, you progressively turn over the responsibility for the education they're receiving to the student. 
by the time they're in their teens, they should be pretty well fully responsible. And if you're starting homeschooling while a child is in his teens, you're going to see a period of adjustment of months where the student slowly understands that he's now responsible for his education. And as you wisely turn it over to him repeatedly when he says, well, what should I do next? You look at that child and you say, I don't know. You have history here and science here and math here, and you have a subject you're interested in. You said you were interested in building car engines. What do you want to do next? You have the next hour to do whatever you feel will help educate you based on what you're studying. What do you want to do? If you do that a lot, that student is going to understand that his education is his own and that he's responsible. And that is a lovely and important thing towards getting that young person ready to face the world and be an adult. Yeah. Well, and I wanted to go on and talk about what we can do, like college readiness, but we're almost an hour. I can't believe the time goes so fast, but so, I don't know so if you want to... That'll be number five. <laughs> Just make, make, yeah. make a list. Make... <laughs> exactly. But I guess we did talk about how important it is to be self-educated, and then by that time you know, how we can transition them into college. But yeah, I would definitely want to discuss that a little bit more. Maybe that should be number five. So (laughs) really quickly, as I said earlier, most universities are looking for homeschoolers. And if you keep your transcripts, keep your records, uh, and have your student do the required testing for uh, college entry. And you can find SAT, ACT Mm -hmm. testing everywhere. Mm -hmm. And there are colleges that will help homeschoolers specifically pass those tests that have classes to help homeschoolers pass those tests. One called um, it's a, a private school called American College, I think. I used to know the dean. He unfortunately passed away a few years ago. But they had a program where they hunted out homeschoolers and gave them free classes on how to pass the SAT and those tests and score well so that the student would then be acceptable to universities. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Stephen. I always love talking to you and hearing your comments. And we kept it pretty up and up, I think. Pretty positive. Not too bad. (laughs) And and when we discuss... the other stuff, college prep and that kind of thing, we'll, we'll just keep working on that. Yeah, <laughs> staying positive. <laughs> so. yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you for listening to The Luminous Mind. To learn more about Stephen Horwich, to find his curriculum and his guide on how to homeschool, go to our show notes at theluminousmind.net. Also, be sure to become a subscriber to our free email list so you can receive notifications for our weekly audio blog, The Spark. We would love to have you join our program. Do so by going to the scheduling tab and become a fire starter today. Help support the podcast by making all your Amazon purchases through the free Amazon widget on our website, theluminousmind.net. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Google+. Get our audio content on YouTube, iTunes, and Stitcher. Leave us a review. Tell us how we can help you so together we can continue to light minds on fire and change the paradigm of education 